How do fitness professionals who aren't marketing and technology experts build a profitable business? This podcast uncovers the secrets of fitness leaders who've already found financial freedom so you can take paid vacations, save for retirement, and work from anywhere in the world. I'm Kenton Boutwell, joined by co-host Nick Clayton, and this is the Fitness Leaders Podcast. What's up, Nick? Kenton, how's it going, man? It's all good. Beautiful day here in Nashville. Uh, we just got this hurricane weather from Ida came through and it kind of cooled things off. How's it going with you? I saw that. It's good. We got a uh, Brutus the Barbarian or Brew, our one-year-old Frenchie at a uh, daycare today. So I was just checking him in on him on the webcams and uh, it's awesome. Whenever he goes, he goes like once a week, he comes home and sleeps for like 24 hours straight. Like he's just, he's out. So he's excited to play with the other, I assume. Does he get to play with the other dogs and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's play or he's learning how to play. Like, he torments them all. He's that guy. He's a French bulldog. He's he's something else. That's awesome. Well, I hear our guest today is a good friend of yours. Is that right? Yes, yes. I met him uh, through my time at PPSC, Pain-Free Performance Specialist Certification. He was a master instructor, uh, became a good friend. And uh, let's get right into it. You know, one of the things before I give him the formal intro is this guy was a star of low budget independent films. Hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit today. But he is an author. He's written three books. My favorite is Day by Day, The Personal Trainer's Blueprint to Achieving Ultimate Success. He's a presenter for SCW Mania, NSCA, and has written and contributed to NSCA's Personal Trainer's Quarterly. PTDC, PT on the net, T Nation, and more. He was a master level instructor and trainer at Equinox, ran and was director of product development and education at St. James. And he's currently a personal trainer at Anatomy, an upscale training facility in Miami, Florida. Our next guest is Kevin Mullins. Kevin, how the hell are you? I'm doing damn good. It's funny when uh, you get intro, you're like, huh? Oh, that's me. He's talking about me. Nah, I, uh, I'm great, man. You guys are talking about weather in, in Miami. It's a rainstorm every day. So just about 10 minutes ago, it absolutely downpoured. But now it's beautiful and it's beach weather again. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we've had a lot of guests that are Florida based. I went to grad school in Florida and, uh, you know, I miss the beaches down there a bit. But the humidity and those rainstorms, like I always thought rain would cool off the humidity down there. It's like it's literally a swamp when it hits. Mm -hmm. And the funnier thing about it that I've learned because I have a black car is that because the heat comes back so quickly after the rain, the water is evaporating off your paint and leaves these little polka dots. Now, it doesn't ruin the paint. You go get a car wash. But at this time where the summer's ending and you're technically heading into Miami's fall, which is weird to say as a Northeasterner, but nonetheless, it rains every day. So getting a car wash is pointless. So I'm driving around like a mildly polka dotted car right now. <laughs> you do have tinted windows, yes? No. Well, I mean, outside of the factory. I mean, whatever whatever was there when I pulled off the lot. So yeah, that, that'd be my one tip is get the deepest tint you can get. That cools the car off so much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember getting in the car and it's like, holy cow, it's a sauna in here. Mm -hmm. so cool so you moved to uh miami just a few months ago and before that you were out in dc yes i uh, i spent 
almost 11 full years as a trainer, uh, educator, group fitness instructor, and then eventually a corporate level position with the St. James, as you said, and then wanted to uproot and move to Florida, um, a variety of reasons. But it was, it was, why not? Why not just do something crazy? I'd always kind of talk to myself out of the big leap. I remember when I was younger, uh, when I was messing around in those low budget independent, independent films, I had those LA dreams. I'm like, I'm going to go serve Arnold Schwarzenegger coffee. And he's going to look at me and be like, come on, come to the movie set. And, and the rest of my life is going to be booked. But uh, that never happened. I kind of chickened out. But this time it was like, why not? Let's do it. And honestly, being at Anatomy, I had been following Mark Magna, uh, the, the founder of the brand for years. And I just loved the message he had. And I had made the decision that if I was going to leave the suit pants world a little bit and go back to the floor and the 5 a.m. wake ups, that I wanted to be in a place where I really respected my leadership, not just as a business, but as a human. And so here I am. Yeah. It's a crazy jump, you know, that you went from, you know, a director position at a, at a huge prestigious club back into training. And a lot of people don't do that. And I think that's going to come through in your story and your passion for training. Well, let's start with the beginning. You know, what got you into training? You know, why did you start working out back, back many moons ago? And what was your first job? So I started working out because the Fast and Furious. Because Vin Diesel grabbed the steering wheel of that car and his triceps jumped out the window. And all I cared about when I first started lifting weights in the garage was arms. And that's typical for a lot of guys, but it was specifically, I wanted to be able to clutch my steering wheel, look over my shoulder with those stony eyes and just drive. Now, I didn't have a souped up car that went fast. I had a GMC Sierra so, you know, I was already setting myself back, but uh, nonetheless, the whole reason I picked up a weight in the first place, because I just was motivated by what Vin Diesel was on that screen. And honestly, it still sticks with me because, you know, throughout the years I've dieted down and been pretty ripped. Uh, there've been other years where maybe a little bit more potatoes than needed, but by and large, I loved what he presented was this absurd badassery and strength, but he also was quick to get home and crack a Corona. And so I was very cool with that. And so I started lifting and I didn't really fit in much in high school. I was the smart kid who I would intentionally mark answers wrong on tests so that I could tell my quote unquote friends that I did just as bad as they did. And I, I intentionally dumbed myself down on a routine basis um, the only activity I really got was high school football and baseball. Otherwise I just went home and played video games, PlayStation two all day, all night. I still remember I used to like cook my bedroom out because the, the heat from those early flat screens and the heat from the system with a shut door. Oh my God. It was, you want to talk about a sauna. And so one thing led to the next, I, I, I didn't graduate high school with a great GPA and I went to this junior college in my in my home county, Cecil College. And I just met a group of people that were more into it. They were like, Kevin, lifting will change your life. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's just weights. And then I just, I don't know what happened. I, maybe it was the first three shots of NO Explode. Maybe it was the idea that I would go to a, uh, a college party and they got all the attention. And I was sitting on the couch wondering if we were ever going to play Madden. And then I started and my body changed fast. 
you know, newbie gangs, 18 year old testosterone. It was amazing. And then as my body started changing, people were asking, yo, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. I quit a job at a shoe store, got a job at a GNC. So really my first job in fitness was slinging protein powders and cell tech at a GNC. And for those listening, if you're not old enough to remember cell tech, you missed supplement industry's glory years. That label literally said, put on 17 pounds of muscle in two weeks. Yeah. And then I started like learning about supplements and then working there. I got that employee discount. So if it was on the shelves, I took it. And people were asking. And the next thing I know, I went from being a general studies major and I was leaning towards architecture because I've always loved, you know, even now I love driving through any city and just looking at the architecture, how the buildings are constructed, where do I think the load is sitting to support these crazy shapes. But I switched my major to kinesiology, which to this day, my dad still can't pronounce. What song was your major? Kinesiology? What was it? Um... And at the time, he, he didn't like that. In his mind, uh, architecture was prestigious. And this glorified gym teacher role was, was probably going to not work out. But uh, I went to the University of Maryland, kept working out, got a degree in kinesiology. And my first training job was at a little Gold's Gym right outside of uh, University of Maryland in a very bad neighborhood. The type of neighborhood that like you didn't even conceal your carry. <laughs> like when you left work, you let it be known that you were walking armed because it was just not a good spot. But it taught me a lot in which, you know, if, if you can convince somebody and I hate using the word convince, but if you can help someone who is genuinely budgeting their money, then you can help anyone, especially once you get into the bougie or brands. Yeah. I, you know, I almost think you need to coin the term or definition for kinesiology and be like, it's, it's human architecture. Ooh. It's kind of what it is. Quick question, Kevin. What um what kind of workouts were you doing when you first started and you know in high school and then at GNC? Oh, back in the day, man, it was whatever muscle mag had. It was like, all right, the Jay Cutler biceps blast, 10 sets of easy bar curls, five sets of preacher curls, three sets of cable curls, two sets of dumbbell hammer curls, and not pick up a coffee cup the next morning. I can tell you with certainty, it wasn't enough legs. I'm sad. I wish I could go back and slap 17-year-old Kevin and say, do your legs, lift your legs, you idiot. Yeah, almost, um, you know, everybody really, I think we've talked to so far, they, and, and us included, not just the guests, but, you know, it's a lot of stuff out of magazines, you know, I don't know if you ever went into the grocery store or just anywhere and picked up like the muscle mags and got the workout the bodybuilders were doing. Oh, I, even as a kid, that was a habit of mine. My mom would have to like go to the grocery store, maybe pick up a prescription and I'd like be in a Rite Aid and I'd just kind of mosey on over to the magazine section, read the, like the video game magazine. And then you'd find the magazines that were in the plastic wrap and you'd see if you could somehow unseal that plastic wrap without anyone knowing. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I did the same thing with the magazines and, you know, you yeah. could pick up a bodybuilding magazine I think I started when I was like 15, I started lifting and it's like, oh, Ronnie Coleman does two a days. I can do two a days, <laughs> right? Like no training experience, you know, no, uh, none of those advanced supplements. And I start working out. I'm like, man, I am constantly broken and beaten down. 
But, and what's yeah. funny is, and then I worked at GNC. So then I saw the ads where it's like, this is what Ronnie Coleman takes. And you're like, oh, okay. So that's all I need to be Ronnie Coleman. Oh, to be young and naive again. Yeah, or like Mark <laughs> McGuire with, with Andrew or you name it, you know, any of those. Oh yeah. Here's the supplement I'm taking. Well, to this day, I'll still remember, right? Because we went through the wild west era and that, you know, bunch of Gaspari products came through and whatnot. And I still to this day, remember I took one of them. And I actually really like blew up and I was like, my beard came in. I had a deeper voice. Suddenly I was singing down here and I was like, what the heck is that? And then they recalled it like four months later. I was like, oh God, I hope that doesn't screw me up for life. And thankfully it didn't, but it was like, oh, so that's the difference. They put hormones in things. It's not just amino acids slammed into a gray pill. All right. So cool. So first job, Gold's Gym. What was that like? Was it kind of cutthroat? Like you go in, you know, find clients, make money? Oh, yeah, it was kind cutthroat. Of education? Um, I was in college still. So I started working there my senior year of college. Um, I did well. I was out of that staff. I was by far, even as a college student, more educated on the basics of anatomy, physiology, biomechanics. And I, I was at that age where it was a little bit of, overconfidence and a little bit of Dunning-Kruger, but it's this sort of, a lot of those people had the fly-by-night weekend certifications and were doing some really dumb and risky stuff. And I was at least, it was still predominantly bodybuilding, but I had a slightly better idea of human architecture and how to not hurt it. And so I did well, but it was a price point. If I remember correctly, if you bought a pack, it was basically 30 bucks a session. And then obviously the gym got their cut. And so I, you know, I was effectively making like a minimum wage, which in college was fine because that was money to take out on Fridays. Uh, but once I got out, it was a problem because there, it just wasn't enough. And there was a phase in which, you know, talking to my folks and, Hey, Kev, maybe this thing ain't going to work out. Pipe dreams. Hey, you got a college degree, you know, think about the other careers that you've always wanted. And one of the things I've always wanted to do, even today, sometimes the voice gets going is, higher level law enforcement, you know, Capitol Police, um, FBI Police, Secret Service has a police force. Everybody always thinks about the Secret Service as just the people who stand around the dignitaries and and officials, but there's an entire police force that guards the monuments and and critical property. And so I actually applied to them, did well because I was just a normal kid. And, um, but then I got an opportunity I saw this job advertisement for the Sports Club LA in downtown Washington, D.C. And I was like, you know what? And it was like the most mature thing a 20, 21-year-old was thinking. I was like, I'm just going to apply. And if it doesn't work, I know I can easily, you know, fall back on this. They accepted me. And then the, the real career began because suddenly I was a kid with like $4 in my bank account charging $120 for a session. Uh, So that's when it got not cutthroat, but scary as hell. I was so unprepared to be a professional trainer. What was the, the, the jump from gold? So were you nervous about leaving, you know, probably current clients, client book. Now you're kind of picking up and starting all over again. Did that scare you a bit? No. One client I was sad to leave because he did have multiple sclerosis and I felt like we were making really good progress. I felt like I was abandoning him. 
but I wasn't that busy. I, I really want to pound home like a bad neighborhood. And it was the type of place where I would literally, it was inside of a shopping mall. Um, and it was a franchise gold gym. And when I say inside the mall, I mean, literally inside the mall and right across the hallway was a kebab st- uh, shop and down the hallway a little further was, you know, clothing stores and a McDonald's. And I do not clients would leave my session and walk right to McDonald's and get dinner. And so it was that type of place. And so I was not in any way sad to leave. I was stoked. Here I am, 22-ish at the time, moving into Washington, D.C., like working around real trainers. I felt bad about walking away from David. Thankfully, he found a trainer elsewhere that has always, has taken great care and I've kept in contact. But the, the rest of it was pure, unfiltered in excitement. Cool. What was it like getting uh, getting started there? Any teams, education, or was it again all, hey man, go sell, go make us money? It was a really good onboarding process. Ironically, a couple of the onboarding instructors are still very close friends of mine today because I worked with them for almost a decade. But um, it was good, very good onboarding. A lot of it I had heard the basic AMP and like you know what is ground reaction for stuff like that, but. It was more realizing I was way too immature and way too brash, not cocky, just brash. Um, And that I needed to grow up. I made a lot of mistakes. I was, you know, the guy that was like, okay, I'll take sessions on Saturdays. And then I'd go out on a Friday because I was 22, 23, had a little extra coin in my pocket, clients there at 8 a.m. Guess who isn't there at 8 a.m.? This guy. So I got, I don't want to say trouble because I never did anything overt. I never like hurt anyone. I never damaged company. I just wasn't raised that way. It was just, do you, do you want to do this? Do you want to be a professional trainer or do you want to be a kid who goes out and parties? And that was like the only wake up call I needed. And then it really became the place that I grew into who I am. Uh, it was, that was the foundation, but early on amazing onboarding. I was set up for success. Yes. Go sell. But, you know, in a health club or any well-run facility, you're getting 80, 90, 150 members a month flowing in. If you're the new trainer and you're not an idiot or a bad person that no one likes, you're going to get fed leads. And even when I didn't know as much as I know now, I've always been able to string together enough words and bullshit my way through a conversation and so I think I operated on charisma bullshit and why not back then. But now I look back on it and I'm just like, oh, what a doofus. Well, that's great. And, you know, a lot of people don't get that wake up call early enough in their career. It literally wakes you up and turns you on and be like, okay, I've got to actually commit to this and, and change what I'm doing or I'm never going to make it. Yeah. It's been invaluable. I found in my life, you know, it's a little segue that I am horrible at recognizing the signs until I'm standing at the cliff's edge and the gravel's getting kicked out from under my feet. Like as a kid, I, I hung around with a wrong crowd for a while. I said I wasn't taking my grade serious. I was definitely hanging out with the kids who were doing things they shouldn't have. And I too, at that time, and I still remember to this day, shout out to my amazing parents that my dad looked at me, sat me down with my mom and goes, son, you have two options for the rest of your high school life. You can be mom and dad's best friend. You're our only child. We can take care of you. Those PlayStation games you love, the vacations, they'll keep coming. 
or you can keep doing the stuff you're doing, hanging with who you're hanging with. And we're not going to let anything bad happen to you, but we're not going to go out of our way to make your life magical. And I don't, I'm 15, 16 in that conversation. Bing, there it is. Make a decision. Same thing. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to join the police force and take at the time a safer route because I'm making like a dollar a day at Gold's Gym? Or do I believe in what I can do? Wait till the gravel's about to come out. And then the same thing, Kev, do you really have what it takes to be a professional trainer? Or do you just want to be a kid who flashes his abs in the middle of a dance floor? And so boom, the gravel was kicking out again. So I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I guess it's good because I've always seen the light, but it's, I wish I saw the stop sign a few miles sooner. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone can relate to that. So from sports club, where did you go or how did you get from there? Was it Equinox next? Well, Equinox bought out the entire sports club LA brand in 2014. Uh, there was some management. <laughs> I, 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 now that I've had some experiences since then, uh, I feel like they had angled for a sale. Millennium Partners was looking to sell many moons ago. And then the opportunity struck with a couple not so awesome decisions uh, on the back end. And Equinox swept in and bought all seven sports clubs. I still remember that day. It was so crazy. We heard about it. Our current team came in, let us know, hey, you know, we're going to be a new brand. Within a week, it was like they were taking down all the sports club paraphernalia. And then they had this like big meeting. All the big wigs flew in. Welcome to the team. You know, we are going to assess whether or not your Equinox material and that, you know, scared the shit out of everyone. And <laughs> little... There was literally, I don't know if this happened across the board, but there was like a recruit, like a scouting book on all of us. And someone like sent pictures out of it. And it was all brouhaha for a couple of weeks because everybody saw like, oh, great worker, 100% reliable, want to keep. And then I like saw mine. It was like very talented, very smart, very cocky, needs to grow up. And I was like, shit. <laughs> did, did you have a, was there a sit down? Like Kevin yeah. Owens, come into our office. We were yeah. why you're cocky and how you're going to be a better professional. Yeah. And, and it was at that time, um, you know, I, I was an only child. I was a kid who was intentionally destroying my grades. I wanted to do anything to fit in. And every single time I tried to fit in, something bad happened. And so as I started getting more success, a little bit of money in my pocket, I dated this girl or that girl. Um you know, there was almost like I was so shy and introverted and scared that I had to bounce to the other side, or at least that's what I tell myself now. So I feel like I can validate my life experience, but I bounced all the way to the other side. And I was kind of a peckerhead for a while, personally and professionally. I was very judgmental because I had the degree and I got my CSCS and I did all these things that I thought made me elite when you know, maybe I was a little bit more book smart and, and I have always been more capable of reading a book or taking in information and really understanding it faster than some of my peers. But I let that go to my head. I was in incredible shape. At that point, I had done the 2014 and 2015 Men's Health Next Top Trainer, like reality shows, which, you know, they were fun in games and it was cool. It was an awesome opportunity to meet Adam Campbell and BJ Gador, David Jack, amazing humans, great fitness professionals and minds. 
and I didn't win. I didn't get the DVD cover, but then I come home and I'm like, oh yeah, I was on this thing. I, I, I was riding high, honestly, for the first time in my life. And I don't want to make it sound like, oh, but it's true. I was, I was, I was feeling myself and feeling like I had done something other people weren't doing for the first time in my life. And so they did, they brought me in. Hey, Kev, you know, you have all this, this is amazing. We want to make you more. And, you know, they set me up at tier three. And then I was like, well, what's tier three plus? They're like precision nutrition. I was like, oh, I already did that. So then I immediately got bumped up to that because I'd already passed that curriculum. And, uh, and I just kept doing what I was doing. It was literally, we went home one night in our sports club LA shirts, but they gave us Equinox ones. The next morning, come in the Equinox shirt. Um, and so it was kind of a changing of a guard. Flash for maybe a year. We're looking for new master instructors. And at that point, I had done the men's health thing. I had done some movie stuff. I had uh, done a bunch of live TV hits in the local DC market, which is still to this day, the most exhilarating thing I've ever done. Like you realize it's like, stand on that line. TV goes live in three, two. Like that is, whew, that's the best high in the world. And so I was like, oh, I love being in front of people. And I read the books. And so I simply got into this position where I was like, I want to teach people. And so they, they said, okay, audition. I took a test. I um, passed it, went through a whole curriculum and the rest is kind of history. I started teaching the internal education at Equinox, but that's what humbled me was when I realized that I was responsible for the growth of others and not just my own career. Hmm. <clears throat> that's good you know I'm, i don't want to get into like a psychology thing here but when i ask you know what's what's your take on ego and and confidence and has that evolved over your over your career if i had to have an answer for what i think ego and confidence is ego is what you have when you're hurting or you failed confidence is what you have when things are going your way because hmm. ego to me is a protective mechanism it's something you fall into it's your Iron Man suit of armor. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not Freud. I don't write books on psychology, but I have found that when I'm more egotistical in my life, there are problems. And when I am more confident, I'm rowing the boat, the water and I are getting along. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't want to turn this into a psychology thing, but uh, I've kind of noticed the same things. And like, I think of ego as it's the projection of yourself that you tell yourself. So it's almost like autopilot, like, yeah, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And then you miss all these pieces. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden the gravels kind of spinning out from underneath you because you're not in this reality. Whereas confidence is just kind of knowing who you are and what you have to offer. It's interesting. Definitely. And I think ego probably, like you're saying, that probably drove a lot of your earlier decisions, Kevin. You know, the bad ones yeah. <laughs> are trying to fit in. I have one quick question to you. Up until this point, right, you, you've obviously done a lot of things. You were talking about changing gyms, Equinox, men's health. But did you have any mentors or any people that really, you know, you learned a lot from or helped you along the way? Yes. My first real mentor, um, besides, you know, my father, but I had a college professor, Dr. Paul Bauer. He was my psychology, sociology. I took a theology course, ethics. He taught all those type of topics. And it was, it was always great lectures because he was an ex-college athlete uh, in his 60s at that point and was very passionate about forcing you to make up your mind and stand for something, regardless of what it was. We were in ethics. And to this day, I still remember we read A Time to Kill. 
And he's like, all right, you're in, you know, you're under the stairwell in the courthouse. What are you going to do? And, you know, he didn't care what you said as long as you defended it. And he believed when he read your paper. And so anyway, he saw something in me. He was like, you're an academic. You're smart. Stop being a buffoon. And I don't know what happened. He, it, it really started because he took me out of a college class because I was up there yucking it up with the guys I wanted to be friends with. And he just ripped me. And, and that was embarrassing to like walk back into the room and have some other grown man other than my fire, father rip me a new one. But I tightened up and I ended up graduating college with a GPA and the th higher threes. I can't remember exactly now. And then uh, my old boss at Equinox, Sean Hanrahan, uh, beyond just being a mentor, he was a good human. A lot of personal things happened, you know, relationships. My mother had an aneurysm in 2014. Uh, she survived it, but it was still scary. And there was a lot to wear. And he was just always there for me and taught me a lot about, he was ex-military and he was just very big believer in leading quietly. Just act, do, and they will follow. And that taught me the value of just being a, a quiet professional. And then honestly, now my current employer at Anatomy, Mark Magna, you know, the conversations I've had with him just in the last couple of months, I, I, I would, I said it before we even turn on the recording, I'd follow that man into a war. He is a, uh, he's somebody worth following. And so those have been my mentors. Well, you don't strike me as a quiet person for some reason, Kevin, <laughs> but maybe you can be, you seem like you've got a good personality. Anyway. If, you have, if you have duct tape, I can be very quiet. <laughs> Uh, so, so Kevin, I want to seg segue just a bit. So you're at Equinox, career is going well. You wrote books. How, what, just talk about that. Like, you know, I think everyone wants to write a book at some point, but the discipline to write a book, the, the thoughts, you know, how'd you do it? What got you into it? And how'd you get, how'd you get it done? So the, the 10 second recap is did men's health. Somebody said to me, Kevin, you should have a website. You're about to get a ton of publicity. Best advice I was given. And I started this crappy Wix website. And then it was like, would you like to add a blog? And I was like, yes. And I had always liked writing. I wrote good essays in college. Um, and then the next thing I know, I started writing. And, you know, it's the type of thing that my mom and two friends on Facebook would like. But you build your acumen. And I did that, did that, did that. And I remember I reached out to Jonathan Goodman at the PTDC. And I said, I'd really like to write an article for you. I did. And it went well, and there was others, and then the same thing with PT on the net and others, and you just kind of brand bounce, and you know how that works. I had even, you know, you had said we met in the PPSC, but I met you at NSCA Baltimore when Nick Cuminillo introduced them. And so I had done a bunch of writing, PT quarterly for NSCA. I had done a variety of things, plus some blogs on my own site that Personal Trainer Development Center had their best of, and I kept getting in there, so that got me notoriety. And then I had someone say to me, uh, Pete McCall, actually said to me, Kevin, you should write a book. And I was like, why? Nobody wants to read a book. I'm in, I'm in my 20s. It's like, you should write a book. You're a good writer. And then it stuck with me. And then I didn't know what. And then I had just, I remember sitting back one day thinking, no one talks about the day-to-day -day that goes into training. You know, there's a million books on programming and strength building and psychology, but nobody talks about things like, you know, write a slow and go program is one of the tips in day by day. Your clients are humans who live lives that are not centered around fitness. The slow program is for the night their kids keep or the morning after their kids kept them up or after they had a project due. The go is for when they've had an energy drink and they're ready to crush and they're feeling great. And so those simple tips of being that prepared or, you know, 
think about things like your haircut and always being groomed because you're always on stage, you know, stuff like that. And so I just started writing down all these tips. And then I was like, dude, I'm going to write a book about like daily tips for trainers. And I was kind of motivated by Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic. You know, it's not like I was ripping them off. People have been making day-by-day calendars since I was long before I was born in these little motivational phrases. So it was just an extension of this daily concept. And thus it was born. And to the point of the discipline, I'm actually going to say something that I actually think maybe no other writer in the history of writing. I succeeded because of EDM music. I would come home, like, let's say I had a 6, 7, 8, 10, 11 a.m. session. I lived really close to that equinox. And I would go home. I'd turn on a live set from like a Tomorrowland or Ultra music festival. And I would, the bumping and from the way it worked in my brain, there was so much noise and chaos that it actually created an almost singularity of focus. So I was dialed into the very laptop I'm on right now. And then because the music was always upbeat, I didn't get tired and sleepy. So caffeine and EDM, live EDM sets drove me through that book. Yeah, that's, Sounds like a rave. <laughs> and that's amazing, you know, and there's, there's a lot of research on, on the binaural beats and just white noise, how it can help focus and drown other things out. Um, and I use it too whenever I have to write because I've got massive ADD. You know, a bird yeah. will fly by my window and I'm like, oh, bird. You know, or I'll have 12 things open. I'm like, holy cow, this is horrible. And then you start contemplating what it would be like to be a bird. And then you're like, I'm like a bird. I only fly. Oh, and then you're gone. Then you're, not, yeah. you're done writing for the day. And I'm writing, I'm writing an article on core training. And all of a sudden I'm like, here's an article on how birds fly. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. So we did meet at that Baltimore NSCA personal trainer conference. And I remember, so those events, when you work a conference, you know, you put it on, it's, you're there three days before it is, it's nonstop, 14 hour days. You're just constantly on. Um, and we met at the social, I think it was the second night. I was wiped. I was mm-hmm. exhausted. And uh, I'm like, all right, I got to go down there and just make some hellos, do some FaceTime. Tuminello comes over. Hey, you got to meet this guy, Kevin. And you talked, I think, for like 12 minutes straight. I'm like, this guy doesn't shut the hell up. I don't know who he thinks he is. I'm going to die. And it was just me, my mindset in that place. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, it was great. But I remember you gave me that book, your book, Day by Day. And uh, I went back. I'm on the plane, I think it was, and I'm reading it. I'm like, damn, this guy's real good. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Um, and yeah, and it kind of spawned our, our friendship from there. It's like, mm-hmm. this guy, we had to get this guy in the PTQ. Uh, we got to get him presenting. But, uh, but yeah, it was interesting. The, the question that I have for you is, so you present a lot, you write a lot, you network a lot. What, what's your tip for trainers that want to do the same thing? So let's say they're, they're training in a gym. They're like, look, I have these ideas. I want to write. I want to present. What's your advice for people getting started out? Do them, even when it's small scale. Start the blog. And even if your mom is the only one who reads it, you need the repetitions, right? Everybody looks at you or, you know, in some ways, I guess me now, which is crazy to think, or or Russin or Tuminello, any of these guys, like, oh, I want to be that guy. That's cool. You can be that guy, but get some reps in. No different than you don't get your personal training cert. And then here's LeBron James. Same thing with presenting. It doesn't always start with NSCA NatCon. It starts with, there's a local high school 
and their football team needs to be taught how to lift. And you come in, you help run their lifts a little bit to help out the dad slash football coach. And you also teach them a little something about post-workout nutrition. And then you work at a gym and you do like an in-house. So to the trainers listening that want to present or write, the only way you're going to get to the stage is to do it. But you have to, you know, to that ego and confidence, you have to be confident that you're going to get better with time and you have to put your ego aside and do the small stuff. And then when it comes to networking, be fearless. I've always giggled when people kind of look at someone in their same industry, like they're a, a raging celebrity, right? I, you know, yes, there are certain people that have had massive amounts of success, but at the end of the day, everyone is a beating heart with two lungs and a whole bunch of training acumen that the typical human walking around doesn't have. Like, I get it. You go and you see your favorite musician, you get a little, little giddy, that's different. But when you're at a conference, you don't go to a conference to listen and learn solely, I should say. You should learn, you should listen, go home and get better. But you have this opportunity and it's not even just the presenters. I remember I was sitting in a chair next to Stephen Head, who is, you know, he's not super well-known, but he, in the DC, Maryland, VA region, he's known for his passion for youth baseball and his love of sports and, and training. And it led to a multi-year friendship. We exchanged books. I ended up helping get him hired at the St. James. And he's a trainer and baseball coach there now. So like that was networking. And neither of us were talking because we were trying to see what we got out. We were just like, dude, you're cool. And the rest is history. And so network fearlessly just because they have four books and everybody wants to talk to them. And the other thing is don't talk to the presenter after they're done presenting. Don't. That's not your moment. That's not the moment to try to be like, hey, I'd love to send you a sample of my mixtape. Like, <laughs> it's try to find a, a more relaxed period. Typically, presenters aren't staying that far away. Or if you do approach someone, and I can say this with certainty now, doing as many PPSCs as I've done, is just ask me, hey, I'd love to chat with you more. I don't want to just pick your brain. I have some things that I'd like to do. Do you have a time that's more available? Just ask like you would any other human in your life because the person who just ran that lecture is a human. All right, so segue back. So you're at Equinox. You're an energetic, outgoing person. No. You're doing real well. Now you jump into desk job, corporate America, suit and tie. <laughs> How'd you get that job and, and what was it like? Oh, that's a funny story. Um, I'm walking home from said Equinox and I get a call from a former coworker who had migrated over there. It was actually really good for him. Equinox was not quite the fit, but St. James being a lot about athletics, uh, 450,000 square foot facility with hockey rinks, football fields, basketball courts, swimming pool, an indoor water park, and then a gym and, and amongst many other things. So is St. James a hospital for people out there? I'm not familiar with St. James. The, uh, the St. James is a growing brand in the Virginia area. They have three clubs, two, well, one major club, but there's others on the way. Oops. And they uh, specialize in youth sports and okay. the sort of active entertainment, family wellness, family fitness. So it's, it's got a health club. But it also has, you know, full-scale football field, hockey rinks, you name it. Their, their goal is, you know, megaplexes that are the epicenter of a family unit. So mom and dad are taking their workout classes and lifting weights. The kids are in lacrosse and 
hockey. And then they eat at the restaurant that's on site. And then they go to the shoe store and then mom books a massage. It's meant to be the entirety of a family unit's focus. Sounds like a great place. <laughs> it was oh, it was amazing. And I, I'm so glad for my time there because beyond just the fact that I switched into a corporate role, um, it's an amazing, it's ran by two fearless CEOs and it's ran by people who genuinely care to see a very unique and scary, expensive concept work, right? 450,000 square feet, just the power bill alone is a lot. So uh, I get a call from a former trainer that I worked with. Hey, how would you like to be, and this, you'll know this name, Nick, the Matt Barons of the St. James. <laughs> and I was like, I'm listening because at that time I had been at Equinox. I was happy for the most part, but I kept trying to poke the veil. I was like, I want to contribute to the brand vision. I was starting to get angsty, thousands and thousands and thousands of sessions. I taught hundreds of hours of EFTI. I was, I was sort of like, is this all there is? And so when I got that call, I'm like, I'm listening. You know, you do the negotiation. I quietly went out there, met the CEOs, interviewed, got offered the position as director of product development, which included education. And I traded my gym shorts and clipboard or tablet for suit pants and a button up white shirt. And uh, it was an amazing experience. I switched from being a trainer who very, you don't realize that when you're a trainer, you're kind of selfish because they're your clients. It's your day, your schedule. You're not trying to be selfish, but it's just a different mindset. It's how you survive it. But then once I sat down on the desk job, I'm like, okay, this is about brand building. It's about da 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 and it was the most amazing learning lesson because to see behind the scenes, right? It's just like when you watch a movie and they're like, stay tuned for behind the scenes and you see how they made that epic fight scene or you see how a band was at the tour bus. It's just, it's that peek behind the curtain. And suddenly so many things that I had griped about in the fitness industry made perfect sense. You know, why don't you pay us more? Well, because this, 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 and this gets got taken out of the personal training rate. And while there, you know, I designed 20, 21 group class concepts, you know, uh, helped really, I didn't stand the training, personal training department up, but I really oriented the, the rules and regulations and the way we tiered it and the way the education. So my parting gift was a four tier uh, internal education system, completely built in the image of everything I had ever learned and where I thought the industry was going. But it was so rewarding to like listen to powerful CEOs who weren't meatheads. They weren't arguing about femoral angles. They were talking about the bottom line. And it's just an amazing learning opportunity. You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, I think a lot of trainers don't realize, you know, even if you work for someone else as a trainer, you're still a business owner in a sense that you still have to control your clients and build your book. And then you have to understand how that fits into the business. So whether you own your own studio or you're working for someone else, you're still an owner. You still have to figure out, okay, how do I manage my schedule? How do I optimize, you know, my training programs? I'm not writing five hours a week for clients. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to maximize revenue. And then I think the other thing that you mentioned was, and I tell trainers this all the time, it's, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes to understand what's happening because a business owner has to make money. They have to take commission to do marketing, to pay for the power, to put equipment in there, you know, so that we don't have to do that as trainers. So there's no right or wrong. You know, it's just, it just is what it is. So yeah. to maximize that, I think is what really matters. 
And I think I, I kind of brought a, I was a good add to the team because I kind of brought the, the foot soldier perspective and then they have the business degrees and the acumen and to, together you end up formulating a really good product or battle plan because you see it from both sides of the coin where I think a lot of companies in our fitness space tend to come at it from, you know, they get bought out by some investment firm who has their board members and they just want to see profits and they basically reuse or try to reinvent the wheel too hard. And you might see early returns, but at times it burns out because no one asked the trainers on the floor or the group coaches for feedback. They just thought beat this thing into the ground, you know? And so you see, saw that with a lot of the indoor cycle brands, none will be named, but you know, the concept got beat into the ground and thus some will still do fine, but there are others that it's over. COVID would not withstand, like having nothing to do with that. So from trainer to director, now back to trainer, why you leave, you know, not why did you leave the St. James, but what made you scratch that itch to get back on the floor? While there, as, as fulfilling as it was to launch a product or do something in the back end and see it permeate that entire brand, that was cool. But nothing is as satisfying as knowing you changed someone's life. Like, I don't want to sound corny, but like, I have a client right now who has a fractured cervical spine. It, well, it was fractured and we're rehabbing it. I have a, a guy who his hip is was replaced and, 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 and he doesn't walk right, but we're getting better. And every night, even though I'm exhausted and the hours suck, that's what butters my bread. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather I make less money. It's not about that. It's, it's the, the satisfaction. And I burnt out. I left the industry. I never left the industry. I left the floor because I wanted to, I needed to, but my God, does it feel good to have direct interaction in someone's life? Like to Dave O'Tay's point, fellow PPSC master instructor, he says, we are the healthcare provider that spends the most time with them. You know, you go see your doctor, sit in the waiting room and play Sudoku. You have a nurse walk you back, take your weight, throw a crazy thermometer on your tongue or in your ear. Okay. The doctor will come see you. You play more Sudoku. And then the doctor comes in, Hey, what's wrong? All right. See you. Here's your prescription or whatever. You spend hours with people. And so that's why. That's the long-winded way as people for as awesome as it was to be in power, right? I didn't get that interaction with people enough. I could have trained more at St. James, but I felt guilty taking clients away from trainers on staff that that was their livelihood. Who am I as your leader for you to trust me to teach you how to be a great trainer? And then I come and take food right out of your mouth. I could never do that. So I had one or two people because they had special things that were maybe joint-based that I was a little bit more qualified to handle at that time. But I just missed people. So before I, we're going to kick this over to Kenton to kind of give you some rapid-fire questions. But knowing you and your personality, I do want to ask because I think it'd be great information for the, for the listeners. So you literally started back you know, into personal training, brand new place, not knowing anybody, you know, moving to Miami. What's your secret for getting booked? You know, you walk into a gym, zero clients, no nothing. Be visible. If you're, you know, way too many trainers have an ego that says, oh, I'm fit, I look good half naked, and I'm going to just have clients fall out of the rafters. Be visible, offer help without, you know, without asking for the sale. 
So, you know, I have the rule of three. First time, I just want to know about you, the person. I'm not even going to poke and prod at your workout. Second time, I'm going to kind of talk about your workout. Hey, what you working? Oh, that's cool. You want to see a cool variation? Check this out. Third time, I'll say, hey, you know what? I'll give you a complimentary session. I think we'd have some fun. You build a rapport. It's it's people. It's a people business. And I think in sales, people get too caught up in instant conversion. And then from there is, you know, you don't ask for a sale in personal training. You're asking for an investment. And I think when the trainer flips that mindset, your conversion rate goes up. You buy a TV, you buy a car, it goes off the lot, it immediately depreciates. But no different than you buy a stock with the hope that it goes up over time. Uh, although everybody's into crypto now, but either way, you buy it with the hope that it surges and, and profits over time. You are convincing or empowering a client to believe that their stock is going to go up. So you're not even selling yourself. You're not even selling the program. You're selling the client on the belief that they can get better. This is the time. And so if you focus on that, you're visible. And then lastly, you got to be good at your job. Right. If if you're getting people jacked up, you're you're just doing sloppy stuff, you're not professional, that's never gonna work. But do your damn job, be visible and sell the client on themselves, not you, not your program. That's how you get booked. Great answer. And I think, you know, going back to the sell, you know, you really gotta build that trust. That's what he's really talking about for the listeners out there. All right. So we're gonna switch switch it over. We're gonna do some rapid fire questions. First question is. Uh, what was the biggest challenge in your fitness career and how'd you overcome it? Losing the second season of Men's Health Top Trainer because I thought that meant I couldn't do it. I like maybe I don't belong in this industry. Um, I genuinely was ready to quit. I was ready to just be like, whatever, I'm a garbage man. And I overcame it by everybody reminding me that it was a reality thing based about just being naked-ish on DVDs and that it had nothing to do with real strength and conditioning. All right. So you've worked, obviously, in a lot of different uh, fitness settings. So want to know, what do you feel like is the key or keys to having a profitable fitness business? Have the engagement, personality, and appeal of a studio with the lights, the energy, the music levels your personality, the way you talk to people and the programming of a higher level strength and uh, conditioning facility. All right. Awesome. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see other fitness professionals making? The individual trainer is the over-reliance on social media as a way of building business. Yes, it is a tool. It is the tool we currently use, but delivering great results and asking the people who've already committed their money to you to refer and, and promote you versus putting up another post of you doing a shoulder press. Um, I think people over rely on their own image uh, on social media to get them ahead when it's really their clients talking about them. For businesses, it's being this is who we are and we aren't going to change for anyone. You tend to see that with the boxes and more meatheadish facilities that don't want to have a fun side to their business. They want to be the hardcore people and yet they can't pay their light bill. Yeah. Great answer. And I think, you know, really knowing uh, what your, you know, who you want, your customer, your niche, if you will, and what that message is very important. It's better. You know, I have a good friend. He's all, you know, he's like, I'd rather repel, you know, the people than try to, you know, repel the ones that I don't want so I can get the right ones. All right. So moving on to the next question. What do you think some of the most important skills uh, for fitness coaches are to develop? Soft skills. The world has changed. You can't just be the person who 
knows every squat, deadlift, lunge, and twist. You got to be able to sense a person. So empathy, knowing how to mind your words and realizing, and I've, I've had to be reminded of this lesson recently that you don't know a person's background. And if you're in the people business, just because you think your message is loud and clear and, and safe doesn't mean the recipient thinks so. And so the most important genuinely is soft skills, being able to recognize when a client is in psychological discomfort or is not with it and, and figuring out whether or not that hard, hard, hard workout is right for them. And then obviously the tactical side of our business, don't do dumb stuff that gets people hurt, like pain-free training. Okay. And do you have any, um, you know, for what you were just talking about building soft skills and just also in general, do you have any uh, resources that you would recommend for other fit pros? Honestly, I think going down the well, this is going to sound crazy, but a little bit of spirituality and psychology in which you realize that people, and you don't have to go as far to like buying crystals, but just understanding that every single person is a bunch of biology put together, but inside your brain, it's so much more. And then that everybody's just trying to get to a end point that matters to them. That's the spiritual side. And then the psychology books, you know, Brene Brown's and and even all the way back to Freud and understanding what the ego is and being able to look at someone and say, the person is acting this way because something else is wrong in their life. It's not me. Because if you come in and you think they're just the client who always gives you a hard time, then you're going to act a certain way. And then they are going to be like, I don't like you anymore. And there goes a client when really their marriage is on the rocks and you just never asked. Yeah. Well, do you have, um, I guess, some specific books or anything you could recommend? Maybe just one or two. If not, it's okay. You can think about it. We can come back to it. Biggest trends in the fitness industry. Biggest trends? Yeah. And where do you think the future of fitness is headed? I think we're going to see online and digitized products continue to excel because it's just the direction of the world. But I do think you're going to see a return of the bigger multiplex health club because for years, everybody migrated to the studio, 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 and financially, as well as spatially, people are going to go for a while, not wanting to cram 30 people into an orange theory and pay 40 bucks for it. That's not a condemnation of Orange Theory to be very clear, amazing workout. But the, the idea in the customer's mind might be, you know, still afraid to be around that many people, that sweaty, breathing that hard. And also the financial, I'm really paying this much per class. You're going to see a continual return to some of those megaplexes that kind of defined the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, I think they're doing like you were to your point, they're really getting into community building, you know, um, and getting the whole family and, you know, taking a lot from studios too, to give them that kind of small feel. Cause it's so segregated, you know, segregated or segmented, whatever you want to call it now to where you can pick and choose, you know? Um, all right. Getting into your favorite stuff. So oh, what's boy. your favorite food, favorite food, barbecue ribs, barbecue ribs. What kind of sauce? Sweet like or hot? My hot. <laughs> Sweet with enough hot that I am aware that it's hot. Like a Nashville sweet, like that Tennessee, Kentucky, Carolinas type of sauce. But throw me some habanero like on the side and let me pick and choose when I want it spicy. Awesome. Yeah, we got a lot of good uh, barbecue here in this I house, heard you so. say Nashville. That's one of my favorite cities in this <laughs> damn nation, baby. All right. What's your um, favorite book? And also, what is the last book that you read? Uh, day by day by... No, um, my favorite <laughs> book ever... Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. 
because it taught me the value of networking. Because at that time, I just didn't think, I thought of it as a dirty word that only Wall Street people did. But then I learned that networking is an opportunity to help more people with your skills. And in turn, sometimes they help you. So that was cool. Um, the last book I just read was I Return to Ernest Hemingway Short Stories. And I often like to mix in more fiction and creative pieces because hearing some business mogul's story to success is great and you get the seven laws of how to not be a douche. But when you read someone's art, you learn a little bit about the human condition. And I've really enjoyed reading Hemingway again. And you could hear, in, or I should say, you can read his pain and his life in many of his short stories once you read them back to back to back. Great recommendations. And just for everybody listening, you know, we talk a lot about psychology, but being even more specific, I think what will help a lot of people out there is uh, change psychology, right? I think that's really probably a, a great start for most um, coaches out there. All right. We got two more questions. So favorite movie and what is the last movie you watched? Favorite movie is Saving Private Ryan. Obviously, it's not like (laughs) it's a very serious movie, but it's so well done that every single time it's on. And the last movie I watched was Fast 9 because I am a diehard (laughs) Fast and Furious person. But I can't I can't out of principle put Fast and Furious above Saving Private Ryan as my favorite because of the what it represents. Fast is awesome. And no matter how goofy, I mean, they could put a freaking car in space. Yeah. I mean, you've already told us you love Ben Diesel. He's what inspired you and got you started. So it makes yeah, perfect so sense. So I guess, I guess if, if Fast and Furious <laughs> is my motivation, I'll be the trainer in space. And I love how we're going back to this at the end to <laughs> come a full circle here. Cause I got one more question for you and I'm going to kick it over to Nick and let him close us out. So what is something uh, unique about you unrelated to training? I am a avid fan of doing impersonations. And the longer I spend around you or spend listening to a voice, I will eventually get you or even even just your mannerisms. I will pick them up. And so I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's something I do. Yeah, well, maybe you should do some stand. Maybe you do stand up or improv. I don't know. Maybe hit up some uh, local Nick, uh, spots. <laughs> Nick has heard far too many of them. I, I think when we did our Orlando PPSC, I did Arnold and Christopher Walken. I had a lot of fun with that. Well, can we get one, you know, maybe Arnold real quick, just and we'll kick it over to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest feeling you can get in the gym or the most satisfying feeling you can get is the pump. The see you training your biceps. It's like someone blowing air into it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, for I'm, all you listeners, that was Kevin Mullins. That was not Arnold. I know it sounded real good. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Dropping knowledge bombs all across the board. It was great catching up with you. How can our listeners find out more information or get in touch with you? First of all, thank you guys, Kenton, Nick. It's great to see you again, Nick. And Kenton, you're amazing. And I will be visiting you in Nashville. You guys can find me on my Instagram, which I'm learning to post more, at Kevin Mullins Fitness. And my website, kevinmullinsfitness.com. Boom. Love it. Go to Amazon, get the day-by-day trainer. It's a great book. And for everyone listening, thank you. This was another episode of the Fitness Leaders Podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you like it, write a review. If you don't like it, please do not write a review. Just kidding. (laughs) Until next time, everybody, we will see you then.